Hello, everyone, and welcome to Dr. Emmett Emery Sr. You better stand your watch, leader slash leadership podcast. Before we get started, of course, I go to my rituals and I get honor to God. Uh, without Him, uh, nothing uh, happens in my life. And I'd like to say hi to my wife. Um, and to my kids this time. Today we're going to do something a little bit different. Um, I want to talk about a particular, I'm going to put my glasses on this time. Uh, a lot of my conversations coming from my notes. We're going to talk about professional leadership and spiritual leadership development in the workplace. First, I'm going to give you a definition of, of uh, professional leadership development in the workplace is a process of enhancing uh, one's skills and qualities to become a more effective leader. It involves forecasting or focusing on particular categories or competencies. Now, I'm not going to talk about the things leaders can do to help themselves uh, develop. I'm going to talk about the things that leaders can do to help the associates that work for them develop. You know, sometimes we focus, as leaders, we focus more on ourselves and an accomplishment that we can have um, through the leading and the, the leadership skills and developing the leadership uh, that we give to our associates. But let's take a step back. Uh, let's, let's, let's keep it real for a minute. It's the associates that make us successful leaders. So, in doing this podcast today, I want you to think about one thing. Is your professional development for you? Or is your professional development for the people who work for you? See, because if it's for you, then you're going to make sure that you uh, succeed through every avenue. Um, don't get me wrong. You need to develop yourself uh, to get to the point where you are leading, but at some point you also got to share that and develop the people that works for you as well. So are you developing professional development for yourself or are you developing professional development for the people that work for you? Such as, are you involving the associates in some of the decision-making processes that you make? Are you considering the consequences of your decision? You know, some, some decisions that, that you make has consequences. And if they are successful, who are you rewarding? Who are you saying uh, made those uh, decisions successful? And if decisions fail, are you taking ownership of that? Or are you saying it failed because the lack of productivity from your associates? Are you weighing the pros and cons of your decision? Before you even make a decision, are you writing it down? Are you saying, okay, this is the pros of my decisions, and this will be the cons of my decision? What was the number for your pros versus the number for your cons? If the number for your cons outweighs the number for your pros, are you going to still make that decision with that particular area or a particular topic or a particular thing that you want to make the decision on? 
Are you going to self-evaluate, reevaluate, and start seeing if you can create more pros from that? If not, then you have to look at another method of making the decision. Most importantly, are you listening to your associates or the people that work for you? Because some of your most valuable information or feedback can come from your associates or the information or the individual who works for you. So you got to take a, 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 a pride step back and say, okay, I'm going to get input from the associates. Let me put this before them and see what they think. Write down the comments that they make. Either you can put it in paper or you can have it in the meeting or you can have someone take down their comments while you're in the meeting. Whatever method you chose to use, listen to your associates. There's not, uh, I'm not saying that you have to just uh, take everything that your associates say and, and then run with it. No, you got to weigh the pros and cons with that too. And you got to see if it lines up with your decision. And your decision got to line up with the company policy and procedures. Your decision got to line up with the company. It can't be self-decisions. Next, are you communicating just about everything to your associates? I didn't say communicate everything to your associates. I said just about everything to your associates. In other words, are you keeping them informed? Are you sharing information with them? Or are you leading based upon information that you get from your boss? And you get bits and pieces to your associates. And those bits and pieces of your associates, not enough for you to be more successful or to increase the bottom line. Are you managing conflicts? Arguments between associates. Disagreements between managements that work for you. You know, I was in a working uh, for this company and I had disagreement around my leadership crew. And the disagreement was not among the associates. The disagreement was among management. Why? Because each member of management was battling for position for a promotion. And in order for that person to get promoted, they felt, they felt in order for the, that person to get promoted or for themselves to be promoted, that they had to shine in certain areas. So they would overshadow each other. What do I mean by that? I had associates, the managers was accountable for various amount of associates. For example, one manager was accountable for 20 associates, another manager was accountable for 20, 25 associates. Well, the manager that was accounted for the 20 associates wanted to manage the other manager's associates when the other manager wasn't around. So the associates get in two different types of direction, but two different types of direction coming from two leaders. So they had to abide. So that's a conflict right there. Not only a conflict among leadership, but a conflict of morale among associates. So are you managing that conflict? How do I manage that conflict? I communicated to both member management. I explained to them that their evaluation, our self-evaluation, I'm not evaluating them as a group, I'm evaluating them individually. And that's part of their evaluation. And their promotion comes from the areas that they hit within their evaluation. Also the areas that they hit within their job performance. 
So the job performance involved following policy procedures and company regulations. And evaluation involved that plus more. And once I explained that way, then they realized that no matter what they did to each other, how to overshadow each other, they didn't follow through and fulfill what was on the evaluation at the end of each year when they got the evaluation, well, they weren't going to be promoted because bad evaluation doesn't promote you. Are you giving positive and accurate feedback to your associates? What type of feedback are you giving them? Are you giving them negative feedback, thinking that's going to motivate them? Or are you giving them positive feedback, feel that they're going to motivate them? Are you giving accurate feedback? Whole, full feedback? Or are you getting them inaccurate, partial feedback? Give them enough just to keep them going, but to keep yourself on top. Next, ensuring that you have a culture-based working environment. Promote diversity from within. Different ethnic backgrounds, age, and work experience. You don't have to promote, just promote. When I said promote diversity from within, you still promote based upon performance. But use diversity to do it. If it's an older employee that's been there for a while, that means they have experience. If a younger employee that just came in from college, that means they have a lot of enthusiasm and they're very active, but they don't have the knowledge. So if you integrate those two together, then they feed off each other. And as they feed off each other, they help each other grow and develop. Encourage collaboration among all the associates. Do activities that involve everyone. Encourage them to help each other. When you got employees done working in one area, but you got employees that still haven't finished that area, Ask the employees to go help out and finish the other area. Everyone's done around the same time. Don't let the associates that finish the area leave and the other associates are still there. Bring team lottery together. Allow them to work as a team. As a drill sergeant, when I was in the United States Navy, I was a Navy, like I said before, the Army and Air Force calls them drill sergeants, but the Navy calls them recruit division commanders. And one of my jobs as a recruit division commanders was to turn civilians into sailors. And I averaged, my division averaged 94 recruits. If it's an all-male division, then I had 94 males. If it was a mixed division, co-ed division, male and female, then I had 45 for each. Well, I had 11 divisions I pushed at the time I was in Great Lakes. And out of the 11 division, Three was all male, eight was co-ed division. So not only did I have to make the civilian into a sailor, I had to make sure that they understood the policy involving opposite sex in the same division. It was on different floors in the same building, but they had to understand that they were sailors and not male and female, which is a tough task. Give positive reinforcement to all the associates, not just some, not ones you pick and choose. You get yourself in trouble that way. Some people might perceive it as being favoritism or 
that individual being your favorite. So you give it to all. Good morning, how are you? Hey, you did a good job yesterday. Or have a group meeting. Have a group meeting and say, hey, I want to I give the compliments um, to the individual that has successful sales or individuals that did well. But first of all, I want to thank everyone for everything you've done. To all the associates. Next, hold every associate accountable for their performance. Every associate should be held accountable for their performance. We shouldn't pick and choose uh, who we're going to hold accountable. Well, Ketchup been here longer, uh, 10 years, and I really like the work that Ketchup does. And uh, every now and then, Ketchup make the mistake. So, so uh, I let Ketchup go. But Mustard has been here for a while. So I can't let Mustard go um, with the bad performance. I got to hold Mustard accountable. But I'm not going to do it at Ketchup because I don't want to upset Ketchup might handle Ketchup performance because Ketchup might go to person. But Mustard, I don't know. I can, I can get away with it with Mustard. No. Hold everyone accountable for their performance. Delegate tasks. Don't just assume that your associate know what to do. Delegate that task. So you delegate it to a, another member of management if you've senior management. And that member of management delegated it to the individual underneath them. But they just follow up. So you delegate the task. By delegating, you're not micromanaging. You can follow up, but don't micromanage. Be accountable for the results. If it's negative results, you be accountable. You delegated that job to the individual. So if you delegate that job to an individual, did you follow up with that individual? If you follow up with an individual where you knew there was going to be failure with that, at what point did you stop that failure? If you followed the individual and you had success with it, are you going to take credit for the success? Be accountable for the results. Measure performance objectively. No bias. Objectively. That means that you should have a checklist in front of you to measure that performance. Whether you KPIs or other types of measurement tools that you want to use, make sure you measure performance objectively. Address performance problems quickly. Don't wait till after uh, two or three days. If you wasn't there when it happened, say you're there and you noticed that um, something happened um, through the performance and, and it was a poor performance that caused a safety issue. Well, you're not going to wait two or three days before you address that with the associate. You address that with the associate then. Involving a safety issue. And then you, plain, you explain the consequences or what could happen as results of that particular incident. So don't delay it with the associate. Address your performance problems quickly. That way they, can, they have a chance to correct it on the spot. Instead of telling them later, then they think about, well, if I'd have known this beforehand, I could correct that. Be a mentor to all your associates. I know some, some of the organizations, they give you the options to choose who you want to mentor. Or you get an option to the associate to choose who they want to be their mentor. Well, you could be a mentor to all. How's your mentor to all? That means you're always going to be there trained and developing everyone. 
You're going to be there for sympathetic ear to everyone, not just one or two people that just say, I'm going to take this person to my wing and I'm going to make sure this person succeed. No, you still can do that, but still mentor everyone. Understand their personal goals. When you're mentoring, mentoring encompasses both. It encompasses personal and professional. Because some of the issues that's embedded or happening with the associate on a professional side was trigger or stems from issue on a personal side. So when you mentor and that person got to be able to come to you on a personal level and talk to you. But you have to be open enough to receive them coming in and talking to you without you holding them accountable. And you also got to be subjective and not give information or try to help the individual in areas that you're not a professional in. For example, say the person said, I've been, I've been uh, having dreams and, and I don't understand. I just can't stay focused. And, and um, sometime I'm working and, and I just start thinking about, about bad things and, and how do I cope with that? Don't give your suggestion on how that person can cope with that because you're not a professional in that area. You tell a person, that, that individual, that person that, hey, um, I can research and find a professional individual for you to communicate with so they can better help you assist you with that issue with the dreams. You mentor that person. You didn't solve that person's problem because that particular issue required professional assistance. Ask open questions. This allows the individual to answer freely and create their own problem-solving approach rather than using yours. So that I, if you have the question on how do I do that, when I said understand their personal goals, ask open questions. Now, if they come up with a solution, you can agree, agree or disagree with the solution that they come up with. It's up to you. Just be leery of what position that puts you in. Because if you agree to certain things that you should not agree to, the individual might hold you accountable for what you agree to. Offer advice when asked. So that, like I said before, that person asks you through personal advice. If it's job-related, answer. If it's personal-related, explain where you can assist an individual in seeking help in that particular area. So that you trust all associates until they prove that they cannot be trusted. That means that don't go by what third party says about an individual. Evaluate their performance. Evaluate them in the workplace. I mean, you got to get out and walk and seek and talk to them. Get to know that individual. Then you know his work habits. You know his attendance habits. So then you know if you can trust this individual and not, or not. If you have mixed things about an individual and in the workplace, then you know you got to send someone to help that individual. 
okay. An individual might say, okay, I see this person keeps sending me help, so then they get better. Or if that individual you see continues to send them help, and they, get no, they do not get better, and maybe that's not the job for that individual. Show support to all associates. If you show support to all associates, then you know who to trust. Be a model to the behavior you expect. In other words, trust, I feel that trust is earned, not given. So you have to be trusted by your associates. If your associates don't trust you, they won't go to battle for you or with you. If your associate trusts you, then there's nothing they won't do for you. Be open and allow employees to work independently. I mentioned earlier about micromanaging. Don't micromanage. I know some of you, some of you might say, well, sometimes you have to micromanage to make sure the job gets done. Well, maybe you don't. Maybe you just have to follow up more. So you're not really micromanaging, you're just following up. When you follow up, you're not giving direction. When you're following up, you're trying to see if the person needs help. When you're following up, you're there available for questions. When you're micromanaging, you walk up and say, do this, do this, do this, do this. And you walk away. Then you come back to see if that person did, and you give them something else. Do this, do this, do this, do this. If you trust your people, your employees, your management staff, you wouldn't have to do that, micromanage. If you don't trust them, then you're micromanaged to make sure that the job gets done. So how much micromanagement are you going to do? At some point in time, you got to trust them or get them to trust you. So if you can get them to trust you, then their attitude will change. And when their attitude change because of the trust they have in you, then they begin to perform at the level you want to perform. And then you see you can trust them after that. Balance the desire for results. As leaders, we're always looking for positive results. We're always looking for 100% effort. We're all looking for top performance, high bottom line, by any means necessary. No, you got to stop doing that. You have to balance your desire for the results that you want. So you might have to let something go to get something else. What do I mean by that? Well, you like to have high bottom line performance. So you're struggling in bottom line performance, the return on your investment, and you're struggling in productivity. You might have to let that bottom line performance focus go and focus on performance. And as you focus on performance and get performance up, then that increases your bottom line. So one helps the other. So you got to balance it for results. Emotional intelligence in the workplace. This is a big one now. It became really big after COVID because you got a lot of individuals that um, prefer to work, work remote. You got a lot of individuals that never really gather back to who they were before COVID because it was in and out of the workplace because of the COVID disease or sickness. 
Evaluate yourself. Now you got to find out who you are again. Because you've been away from that environment for a while. So evaluate yourself. You evaluate yourself on, very, on, every, on very, various areas. Decision making, communication, trust. You regulate yourself. That means that you have to regulate. You got to take certain lots, slots of the areas that you are evaluating yourself in. And then you have to break those down into 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 100% on how you're going to approach them at certain times to get to 100%. Take responsibility in everything that you do and every level that we talked about so far, every category we talked about so far. You got to take responsibility and empathize with your employees. Be sincere with them, but also show emotion towards them. In other words, have some compassion. Treat others the way you would want to be treated. If situations happen with them, they might cause them to be, for you to be empathetic to them. Situation might happen to you. That'll cause your boss to be that way to you. So treat others the way you want to be treated. So that concludes the professional leader development stage. Now I'm going to shift gears and talk about spiritual leadership development in the workplace. Based on research in the field of vocational psychology and spirituality, it is proposed that a leader's spirituality may interfere with the leader's career in at least three ways. As a means of support. You ask the, your God, your spirit, find me or help me get or direct me to a job that will help me financially so that I can pay these bills, so I can take care of my household, so I can support my kids as a means of support. Next, as a means, as an influence on career-related interests and value. Same thing. You ask your God, you ask the Spirit. Direct me to a job that will allow me to increase in that job. Or some of you even go beyond that and say, touch my boss so my boss understands I need a pay raise. Next, as a motivator of career choice by way of a calling or vocation. Some of us who's spiritual in a workplace believe that the Lord call us to be at certain places at certain times. That means certain jobs with certain people. We also believe that the Lord allows people to cross our path for a certain reason. And that when an individual comes in our life, we're supposed to intercede and do the Lord's bid. There's nothing wrong with that. That's spiritual leadership in the workplace. For example, 
Researchers have found that leaders in the workplace spiritual well-being have been tied to greater job satisfaction. Other quantitative studies have found that spiritual leaders in the workplace report a greater desire to serve others. Some spiritual leaders in the workplace not even looking for elevation. They just feel good, happy, comfortable working with others. Those are ones you see coming into work every day, happy, cheery. They might bring coffee for everyone. They might bring donuts to the office. They might bring candy every day, bring fruit. They just wanted to help people. And that they may feel more supported during career-related struggles. And that they are more likely to view their career as a calling, like I stated before. What this theoretical and imperial work suggests is that spirituality may be Inspectably linked to these areas I'm going to cover with you. First, it's spiritual decision-making in the workplace. Part of growing spiritually and maturing spiritually is learning to discern the difference between what's important and what's not according to your God or the Spirit. He has to define what's important. Not us. I'm very spiritual, but I don't define what's important. I pray about it and that my God, the Lord, Jesus Christ, define what's important for me to reach out or for me to, the steps for me to go. That is a key element of spiritual decision making. I'm not making the decision. I'm following my God or my spirit in making that decision. And what's important to God is that our love grows. The way we know if the decision we make is the right one according to God or is whether or not we become more loving people. So the decision we make, we know if it's for God or not. Spiritual individual would know. And some decisions you make cause you to regress from loving people. James 1, 2 through 8 said, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance, finish its works, so that you may be, made, may be mature and complete, not lack anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generosity to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt. Because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord, such as a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. Next is spiritual communication in the workplace. When it comes to the spiritual aspects of communication, we usually understand it from different perspectives. Some can interpret it as human connectivity, while others may view it as human divine connection. Human connectivity is basically through you physically telling someone that the Lord told me to tell you this. Divine connection 
is when the spirit tells you to do it. And you're not telling an individual that God said do it. Because if the spirit told you to do it, I mean the spirit spoke to that individual before you even get to them. So they know you're coming, but they don't know why. Their spirit know that you're coming, not the individual. Individuals don't know why. Then as you start communicating with the individual, then they get to breaking down, they get to harden their heart, then they get to communicating, and then it becomes receptive. Ephesians 4.29 is a verse from the Bible that advises spiritual leaders in the workplace to avoid using foul or abusive language and to speak only what is good and helpful for others. The verse implies that words that have the power to either encourage or discourage those who hear them and that leaders in the workplace should use that words to build up and meet the needs of others. When I first joined the Navy, I mean, uh, you heard the saying, saying curse like a sailor. Well, a little bit more than cursing was going on. I don't think we was the only branch that was doing it. Other branches too. Talk negative to you. If you didn't get the job done the way it should have been done. Talk negatively to you with foul language. If you didn't do completely what was said, done. Well, I got out of the military and I realized that it's not just the military. The corporate America, you have individuals, bosses who talk down to their employees, who use foul language, who talk negatively to them. And yet they look for positive results. But let, let, yet they look for someone to, that individual to trust them or the workplace to trust them. They're looking for the employees to work for them. And those are the ones that usually don't succeed. James 3 and 8 said, no human being can tame the tongue. It is restless, restless, evil, full of deadly poison. Think about it. How much evil is committed because we cannot just keep our mouth closed. We think but don't keep it in. We think about it. We let it out. If it's good or bad, we let it out. Some of us. And once we let it out, we say, oops. We scramble to catch it. Too late. What are you catching? There's air. You let that out. And now the ears of the other individual who probably had not heard anything you said the whole year heard that. And those words you cannot bring back. And those words sometimes have that individual that works for you self-identify you. And sometimes those words stay with that individual for so long or, or to the point where they never find a way to respect you or trust you. Next, spiritual mentoring in the workplace. Spiritual mentoring is relationship between mentor, mentee, and the Holy Spirit. Through this relationship, the mentee seeks to discover what God is already doing in his or her life. That means that you don't have to pound or talk in, long, in longevity to an individual about who God is, who the Spirit is, who Jesus Christ is, who your God is. You don't have to because that individual connected to your God, to your spirit, they already know. 
So that means that person was, was sent to you not for you to educate them from the basis. That person was sent to you for you to be that spiritual nurture, mentor to them so they can go to the next step. And thereby they grow that mentee by you assisting them. They grow in friendship with God. So now you're doing what God or the Spirit is actually to do. Mentoring entails more than merely passing on knowledge about God. It involves showing people how to love and serve God by your actions, by who you are, by your walk, by your talk. Jesus stressed mentoring in the book of Matthews in 22, 36 through 40. Teacher, which is the greatest command in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. We all consider prophets from the New Testament. So we all supposed to hang on those two commandments. Love one another. Spiritual organization in the workplace is the next one. Organizational spirituality is an organizational identity resulting from its values, practice, and disclosure, discourse, that is composed of workplace and individual spirituality. It is guided by the leader and other members and influenced by the environment, organizational culture, and knowledge management. First Corinthians 14, 40 says, but all things shall be done decently and in order. That means don't do what my mother used to say. Don't act a fool. Don't show that sort of person that you probably used to be, that you would deliver from. Be this individual who is supposed to be this new creature unto Christ, unto God. Be this individual who you want to display, who you are now, not who you were before. Next is spiritual change in the workplace. According to Garp and Beherner, in 2018, they said spirituality is one of the agents of change in the organization, which is true. This phenomenon is marked by the number of employees with higher spiritual goals and at work and personal lives. You have more individuals today who are spiritual in a workplace than you had within the past decade. But you really don't know it unless you display who you are spiritually. And you'd be surprised when individuals you didn't think were spiritual show you that they are. Be yourself. This condition is a challenge for company leaders to create a work environment conducive to embracing employee spiritual goals. Companies know that. They got to make sure that they adhere to the different religions, the different religion holidays the individual have, the different religion dress code that the individual has. So the companies, they're doing their part because it's law. 
They got in their bylaws. They got in their policies. They got in their procedures. They're doing their part. Now you do your part as a spiritual leader. You do what you lay before the altar and ask the Lord to instill within you. You walk within that calling. You be that spiritual leader in that workplace. Whether you're verbal or nonverbal. If you're nonverbal, that means your body language, your actions is showing who you are. And through that, the other spiritual individual in the office will make you verbal by communicating with you. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to profit you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. So change what you was doing in the workplace before this podcast. Remember Jeremiah 29 and 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. That means he's with, he's with, he's with you every step of the way. Ooh, I'm getting excited about this. He's with you every step of the way. Preached a couple of churches. I was a pastor a couple of churches, but... They said, once a pastor, also a pastor. Once a preacher, always a preacher. So you get to talking about the spirit, but I mean, it just gets, woo. Well, let me move on. Let me move on. Spiritual intelligent and emotional intelligent in the workplace. It's the last thing I want to talk to you about this podcast. Emotional intelligent is the ability to sense, understand, and effectively apply the power and acronym of emotions as a source of human energy. Information, connection, and influence. Spiritual intelligence points people to an unseen realm that affects the world around them. Spiritual intelligence is how we describe the God-given wisdom of being aware of the spiritual dimension of reality. 1 Corinthians 2.13 said, This is what we speak not in words taught us by humans, but in words taught by the spirit. Explaining spiritualities with spirit-taught words. Sometimes you hear the, for the spiritual uh, individual that if you're praying and you don't have words to say while you're praying, that the spirit gives you utterance, whereas words start coming out that you had never said before. You're praying in a form and matter that you never prayed in before because you give it to the spirit. Spiritual intelligence is seeing is seeing the unseen. Or I'm gonna hit you with this one. Faith versus fear. Hebrew 11 and 1 said, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Now, with both these intelligence happening in the workplace, the environment will be more conducive. A better working environment relates to a higher level of productivity. Now, we talked today about performance Leadership development and spiritual leadership 
development in the workplace. I didn't mention home. I didn't mention anything else. I kept it in the workplace this time because some things we got to work with within ourselves as leaders that involves development in the workplace. I thank you for tuning in. I appreciate you. Till next time. Thank you and goodbye.